0: Well, I'll tell you, Steve Fry and I go way back. He's a, a definite favorite here at Lakeside Assembly of God. We go all the way back, to, as you heard me say, to youth pastoring days. And uh, let me tell you, we're not getting any older. We're just more seasoned. There you go. More seasoned, seasoned saints for the glory of God. Put your hands together. Give him a real good Lakeside welcome as he comes. Amen.
1: Thank you. Pastor Phil, and uh, greeting to all of you. It's good to be back here at Lakeside, it's been a while. It's always a treat for me to come back. Nancy could not be with us uh, this, um, this weekend. Yeah, most of you know that I also um, pastor uh, work down in Franklin, Tennessee. So I travel a fair bit, but also have a chance to pastor as well. So it's um, nice that they let me out of my cage every now and then to come and, and be with friends. And it's always a great treat for me to be here at Lakeside uh, and uh, we th- think back over the, over the years that we've partnered together, and uh, especially your pastor and I, uh, partnering together in all, kinds of, in all kinds of situations and circumstances. And I won't, I won't go into the details of our, our ministry in L.A. and uh, Soviet Union and all kinds of places, but it's been so rich for us. And uh, friends, lifetime friends, how many of you know that's one of God's great treasures in our lives? Lifetime friends. And I consider your pastor and his wife, Becky, to be... Lifetime friends, hey, um, if you would permit me, can I um, introduce a new chorus to you? Uh, do, do you mind being guinea pigs? This is new. I, I don't write music much anymore, and, um, and so uh, I've, I've been depressed for about 12 years, so I don't, no, I'm teasing. But I don't write as much, and um, recently, the Lord, I, I feel like he's, he's given me a song, a chorus, that's based on the song of Moses. How many of you remember Revelation 15? The end of the age, the end of the, when God wraps it all together, they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Part of this is taken from that, that, um, that verse. And so I want to teach, I didn't, uh, didn't know if the, I guess the band doesn't want to try it uh, with me. I gave them, I, ga- I, I gave them chord charts, and I said, it's up to you if you want to. Um, so maybe as I play, maybe the Holy Spirit will, will bring the drummer and, Bass player and guitarist, fourth, you know? Let's just see. Let's just see. Let's just, Lord, we just pray, even as you multiply the loaves and fishes, Lord, that you would, you would, you would. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, actually, this does need a band. I'm sorry to pull, pull this on. They have not rehearsed this. And when you do this, you know, to a band, when you say, here's a chart you've never heard, can you help me play this in front of several hundreds of people? Um, that's cause for being stoned, you know? So, um, so um, okay. And then I need to turn this on. Is, is there a button I need to push? What? Where's the button? Turn this on? Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. I don't know. Okay. No, now it's, now it's really off. So, <laughs> Okay. You know, I guess I could, go to, I could go to the piano. Is that okay? All right. All right. So, I will take my lead sheet, and I will… Hey, band. I'm, so, I'm really sorry I'm doing this to you, but, but I'm really not, actually. I think it's… There is a… What they're doing is they're being tried and tested in that passage that Paul talks to Timothy about being instant in-season and out of season. So this is a little bit of an out of I'm really sorry, guys. But do you mind? I mean, I just feel like it would be, right? Okay. So um, I'm gonna just I'm gonna I'm gonna teach it to you, and then when we get into it, then I I, I trust it will I trust it will inspire you like it did me. Now this this is um, uh, I can do it just on the uh, piano here first, but it's got a kind of a, a military, you know. Yeah, like that. Oh Lord God the Almighty, and then it, it has that little, you know, that little thing, you know, that kind of chord. ta Okay, so just we're having a bit of rehearsal. Can you? Okay, all right. So, okay, two, three, four. Oh Lord God the Almighty, just and true I ways. For you alone are holy, who will not fear your name. Worthy is, worthy is the Lamb. There is none like the great I Am. Okay, so that's the way it goes. There's actually more verses, but let's take it right from the beginning. Okay, and sing it with me. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty. Here we go. Oh, Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your way. For you alone are holy, who will not fear your name. Worthy is, worthy is the Lamb. Good. There is none like the great I am. The okay, second verse. I hear the voice of Jesus. It thunders like the sea. It breaks me through to freedom. His power will arise in me. Where the is. Worthy is the Lamb There is none There is none Like the great I Am Awesome are Awesome are Awesome are your deeds Good One more time on the chorus Every power Every power lies beneath your feet Okay, we change now to f-sharp ready god light the ancient fire come rise within your own until we can be silent but cry our savior come worthy is worthy is the I am. Awesome are your deeds. Awesome are. Awesome are your deeds. Every power. Every power lies beneath your feet. O oh Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your way, for you alone are holy, who will not fear your name. Good. Okay, we're going to come back. Thanks, man. will let you up. Good. We'll come back, and um, maybe, uh, uh, Pastor, over the love offering, can we come back and close with this song? Okay, great. Okay so you know turn to your neighbor and rate the song on a scale from 1 to 10 okay go ahead just say i think that was a uh, and whatever I'll tell you why that um, song—it means something to me, um, because—and I'm not saying this because I want you to think better of the song than it might be. As a song, you know, it's just something that um, about two months ago I actually wrote most of this in a dream, and uh, it's never happened to me. And I've had an intercessor praying for me um, who lives in California. For about two years, that I would write a chorus based on the Song of Moses, and uh, in in May of this year, I I dreamed this. Not every lyric, but I dreamed most of the the first the the the, the whole cor- uh, verse and the chorus, and 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 got up immediately and uh, within about three minutes, it was there. And so um, I feel like it made you know whether it's the best chorus ever written. That is not the point for me. The fact is that this came out of a supernatural encounter with the Lord in May, and I feel like it has something to say to the church that we need to rise to the reality that truly every power right now, every power, every authority is beneath the feet of Jesus Christ this moment. And we need to walk in that. Uh, before I get into the, um, into the message this morning, Um, Let me just mention there on the back table, uh, most of you uh, would know me and some of the books I've done. For those of you who have, we've never met, a couple of devotionals back there, one Safe in the Father's Arms, for those of you who've gone through testing and trials and suffering, rejection, um, the other is I Am the Unveiling of God, which is a 40-day devotional into the character of God, and uh, I just recommend both of those to you. Plus, um, uh, we have the CDs of We Are Called, way back in the day, We Are Called, uh, again, your pastor and I will remember those days, and there's been something of a renaissance recently of people and choirs wanting to do it. So uh, next year, actually, we're going to be in California and Washington, D.C., and uh, some other places because all of a sudden, people want to go back and recover this this ancient musical. So we're going to be starting to do some of that next year. Um, This morning, I, 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 I trust that, There's an encouraging word for us that will both encourage us and and instruct us. And again, it's just such a great joy to stand in this pulpit. I consider it a great honor. And I want to talk to you on a message that I've entitled, Presence from the Inside Out. Presence from the Inside Out. Now, if I talk to you about the manifest glory... If I talk to you this morning about the demonstration of the power of God, if I talk to you about genuine revival, I mean those moments now in human history where God has broken into a church, broken into a culture, broken into a nation, we would probably be fairly excited about that. Paul's audience here, the Corinthian church, they too were excited about the stories that they'd heard, stories about... Solomon's temple and the fire of God, stories about Moses whose face shined with all its brilliance when he came down from Mount Sinai. And they had seen the power of God right in their own community, right in this godless city of Corinth. And they had seen incredible miracles. They had seen blind eyes open. They had seen cripples walk. They had seen the demonstration of the power of God. How many of you today have appetite, still have appetite to see the sovereign intervention of the power and glory of God in our nation? I believe that with all of my heart, and I've seen it. You know, back in the day, and again, uh, uh, Pastor and Becky will remember this, back in 1982, our our church in San Jose, California, Calvary Community Church, where my dad was pastoring, a large Assemblies of God church there in San Jose, we experienced for five months a demonstration of the glory of God. It was so profound that it, you could almost, at points, even see the glory of God. You could go up there in like 10 o'clock in the morning, and you'd see the, 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 the glory cloud, just faintly, this mist, hanging over a a sanctuary that was about this size. We saw 4,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ over those five months. It was a sovereign thing, it was not having a revival, God just showed up But he showed up after people had been praying for 10 years. 24 7 people there in our fellowship had taken the challenge for Santa Clara Valley, which is now Silicon Valley, Santa Clara Valley to receive a visitation from God. And so 24 7 for 10 years, people would get out of bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, down to the church building, and they would pray for revival. And after 10 years, God showed up in a powerful way. Incredible miracles, some of the leading drug dealers of the city getting saved. It was amazing. So I know what it's like to be in the presence of the presence. I know what it's like to see the glory of God and I've seen it since. But Paul is wanting to say something here to the Corinthians about not just the outside glory, but more importantly about the inside glory. And that's why I'm talking about presence from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter three, beginning at verse seven. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now, Paul is drawing a comparison here between that historical moment that Moses came down from the mountain, having received the law of God, and encountered the Israelites. And when the Israelites saw his face, his face was so brilliant. It was shining with such powerful divine glory that they could not look upon his countenance. That's an amazing demonstration of the glory of God. And Paul is saying that's pretty incredible. And I'm sure that Paul's here, some, some Jewish believers, many Gentile believers in Corinth, I am sure that they knew some of those stellar stories of Israel's history. The parting of the Red Sea, the fire falling under, under, under Elijah on Mount Carmel, the fire of God filling the temple when Solomon prayed. They knew these stories. And they had seen the power of God in their own midst as Paul, the apostle, came and saw God do mighty wonders and a church birth right there in a godless city like Corinth. But Paul's wanting to say something about the inside and the outside glory here that I think is very important for us to understand as to where we are right now as the Western church, the church in America, the church right here at Lakeside. Before going there, I, want us, I just want us to think a moment about one of those glory stories in the Old Testament. and Think about what you might have responded like. Second Chronicles chapter seven, we have the story of Solomon dedicating the temple, and it says that after Solomon, verse one, finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all of the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good and His steadfast love endures forever. Again, we read stories like that and we say, oh God, if you would just do that in Lakeside, now listen, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that what your pastor is calling you to, to seven days of emphasis, drilling down deeper into faith and believing God for to, a next step, not just a next step, but a next, another dimension going beyond where God's taken us. It's very easy for us to hit cruise control in this culture and God is calling his people to rouse themselves to a greater level of faith and a greater level of believing that his glory will be revealed in our nation. the the, the 40 days of fasting and prayer that pastor is calling you to let me tell you something These are moments to go after it. These are moments not just to say, okay, we've done this before. Yeah, we know how to do this. We just have this moment where we're going to have an emphasis. Listen, it's more than an emphasis. It is a summoning by God into his presence to believe him for what no man can do and only God can do. He is summoning us, in a sense, a seven-week sort of solemn assembly to believe that the Lord's promises are yes and amen. These seasons are important when we're called and summoned like you are as a body coming into the fall. So, so I, I, I love these stories of the glory, of the power, but Paul is saying something in this. He says, you know, that's stupendous, that moment that Moses came down from Sinai and his face shone like the sun in all of its brilliance. But he said that is a fading glory and there is a glory more permanent. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but if that kind of glory is fading, if that kind of Solomon kind of fire stuff is not gonna be permanent, and Paul is talking about a permanent glory, sign me up. I'm like, okay baby, I'm ready, okay. You're, you're saying better than the face glory, better than the fire glory, better than caramel, better than all that, yeah. So that's what he's saying. Now look at this. Paul is saying, when he's contrasting this demonstration of the glory of God on Moses' face to the more surpassing glory that we have, when he's saying this, listen to what he's saying. He's saying that the overwhelming response of the people to the outward glory in Moses' day should be the same response as we have today to the glory of the Lord Jesus within us. The power of the glory within is intended to be every bit as miraculous and supernatural as the glory without. All right, so the first thing I want you to see here is this. The inside glory is intended to be every bit as awesome as the outside glory. Let's try this for a minute. Okay, so, so Paul is, is saying that there's a bigger wow factor, a bigger wow factor than Moses' face or Solomon's temple. So, 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 so when I say that there are millions of people coming to Christ in China on, an, on a yearly basis, it's an amazing move of God's Spirit that is continuing unabated, we would say, wow. Try it with me. Wow. If I were to say that many, many cripples were just healed, we would say, if I were to say that the power of God came down on the nation's capital and every congressperson and every senator fell flat on their face under the glory of God, we would say, Wow! You bet. <laughs> Jesus is in you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I know that. Yeah power of the Holy Spirit's in you. Yeah, that's true. Sure is. What on earth has happened to the church in America that we have lost the wow of the inside glory? Do you and I realize just how profound it is that the God who made the universe, who sent Jesus to die for us, now lives in us? There you go. Paul wants us to recover a wow factor that I think the church in this nation has largely forgotten. It is the inside glory. It's the wow of the power of the Spirit as we're going to see unpacked here in just a minute. Something else to see about the outside glory. The outside glory did not change people. The manifestation of the glory of God, as wonderful as it is, does not change people. Look, didn't change Solomon he still ended up with a 1,000 wives. The man saw fire, and he ends up an idolater. Now, there's reason to believe that he finally, in the very late years of his life, came back to Yahweh. But nevertheless, in those intervening years, he became an idolater, marries 300 wives, 700 concubines. In, in, In other words, the outward demonstration of the power and might of God doesn't change people. What changes people is the glory on the inside, the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside. So, Paul wants to unpack that. And before I go to my third point, I'm going to set it up for us. Paul is making an argument here through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 into chapter 4. And I'm going to skip several verses and go right into chapter 4 with you for a moment 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. But he is still on the same thought of the inside glory, the glory that is more permanent than one we saw in the Old Testament. And he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's pretty thick. Paul is very thick. Paul gets wordy and you have to just kind of break it down. But what he's saying here is absolutely terrific. He is going back as his illustration point to one of the most incredible moments that we know that has been revealed to us. None of us were there, no human being was there, but we know because of divine revelation that God, in the first day of creation, when he stood there, surrounded by trillions of light years of inky blackness, said, sang, declared, let there be light. How many of you know that was a dramatic moment? Pretty dramatic. Imagine if you were there, I mean, if you, know, if you were kind of suspended, tiny little you or me, and there's big God, and it's just inky blackness all around, and all of a sudden you hear God declare, let there be light, and suddenly there's this flash blinding light that suddenly permeates every, every square inch of space. I know how I'd respond. I, I, you would be undone, you would say, you couldn't say anything. There's no wow to say. You just, oh, you just, absolutely stunned. Paul is using one of the most dramatic moments known to humankind, the beginning of creation, to draw a comparison with something that's going on inside of you or should be going on inside of you and me. He said, This God, this God who shone light in darkness is now shining in your heart. Dear one, shining in your tiny little 880-pound frame heart, or 300-pound frame, whatever you are, and you just simple little you and me, he is shining in our heart. What's he doing? He is shining in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the revelation of the glory of God. Where is that glory found? Where is that, oh wow, glory found? The face of Jesus. Huh. I've read the stories. Hmm, yeah, okay. Where is the awe of this Jesus who has saved us? This Jesus who gave his life for us? This Jesus who shows us the perfect life in the gospels? This wonderful character, this absolutely precious, Pure, lovely, Jesus. Boy, that's wow. And God is saying, Paul is saying by the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is within you and me to show us that glory which should so excite us that we get all wowed by becoming like him. Okay, so let's try this. So, okay. Deaf ears are opened. Okay, okay, we're back into it. See, come on. Back to where we were blind eyes are open Okay, God is within you to make you like Jesus there you go of course you knew you had to do that otherwise I'd get mad wow now is that really a wow? see if we are Jesus followers and we have fallen in love with Jesus that's gonna be a wow in other words I think one of the things that we can draw from this is that To be wowed with the character of Jesus, it is to be so delighted with Jesus that we wanna be like him no matter what the cost. That we're so wowed with Jesus, we say oh yes, whatever you need to do, God I wanna walk like Jesus. You know what, I am absolutely stunned as, as a pastor. You know, like your pastor, I do some counseling, do marriage counseling and so forth. I'm stunned sometimes by how little believers and Jesus followers how little they are motivated to do what is right just because they love Jesus. Well, let's just, take, let's just take marital conflict. Now, before I talk about marital stress, my wife and I are doing fine. We're great. 38 years married. Everything's cool. But we've gone through our patches. I'm sure you have too. So, you know, you're talking to a husband and a wife and they're kind of at odds with each other and they've just fallen out of love with one another. Well, I don't know. My spouse just bothers me. My husband irritates me. My wife, she just she gets on my nerves. Do you know what my response to that? So what? Yeah, I got, but, but, but I, I need counseling. Yeah, you probably do, but counseling's not gonna get you anywhere until you just settle a big issue. Do you love Jesus enough to serve and honor your spouse? It's not about your happiness. It's not about your feelings of love. You know, those can be restored. I'm not saying those aren't important. I'm saying where is the, I love Jesus too much to stay in a place of marital discord. Where is that kind, you know why we don't feel that way sometimes? Because we've lost the wow of being made like Jesus because of the inner glory of the Holy Spirit. So somebody hurt you, let's just take it out of the marriage arena for a minute. Somebody hurt you, somebody wounds you. I need, I don't know, I just need some real help to forgive that person that's probably true and i'm not making light of anybody's woundings but can i also say do we love jesus enough to say i'm going to forgive that person whether i feel like it or not and i'm going to forgive if i have to 490 times a day i'm going to forgive yeah but that person wounded me so what right. yes but i'm hurt so what yes. i'm sorry see i i love you know what pastor i love coming and preaching outside of my church because i don't have to do any follow-up whatsoever this is i feel <laughs> I feel so much freer. I love my people, love it, but you know what, they're just, you know, what I say to them, I've got to look at them the next week, right? So I don't have to look at you after today. In a sense, it's so what? In a sense, it's, we understand that. But, but remember that the anointing on Messiah Jesus is the anointing, Isaiah 61, to set the captive free and bind up the brokenhearted. It's not just about binding up broken hearts. It's got to be the captive being set free. And if you, are set, if you are captive to bitterness, if you are captive to a lack of love in your marriage, if you're captured by that, then go to Jesus and repent and turn around and be set free so you can be healed. God did not heal e- Israel out of Egypt. He freed Israel out of Egypt. Healing in, listen, inner healing in the American church has become the dominant picture of salvation. And we've lost something to that. The dominant picture of salvation in Scripture is not healing, it is freedom. Freedom. And freedom happens when we decisively say, all right, Jesus, I will follow you, and I will love you, and I will value you and submit to you above all, and I will know that your power and the spirit within me will help me become like you, and the emotions and the feelings will follow. Thank you, Jesus. But I am after you. I am after you, Lord Jesus. I'm going after you. See, it, this, this glory within is the it's, it's the glory of the indwelling spirit. You say, yeah, but I, I just, you know what? I have a hard week. I have a hard day. I have a hard job. I can't, you know, you pastor guys, you know, you're, you, you, you can have time to pray and you kind of, you know, just float around in your spiritual bubble. I get up at five in the morning. I have to go to work. My boss is gnarly. My fellow employees are are subhuman, and I just need, I just, I, I, I I just barely for me to get up in the morning and then go to bed. Can I just say to you that one of the easiest ways to get in the flow of the Holy Spirit is to start adoring what He adores. The Holy Spirit adores Jesus, adores Him. You start adoring Jesus. It's why we worship. You start adoring Jesus and I'll tell you what, you're going you're gonna to be putting your finger in the light socket. You know, you can be looking at that light socket all day long and just say, wow, you know, I know there's power there. I, just, I know, I mean, you know, people have told me that. But until, and I would never say you to do it. But if you want to, I mean, you can experience the power by plugging in a light fixture. You can also experience the power by putting your finger in the socket, which I don't recommend, but I will tell you that a lot of people, uh, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit's in me, yeah, I know. You know what? You put your finger in the socket by adoring what the Holy Spirit adores. You start adoring Jesus, and I'm telling you, over time, you're going to be so transformed within, that glory is going to bubble up in you, that when you are wounded, when you are hurt, when you're offended, all of a sudden you start worshiping Jesus, and there is something erupting in you, a power and a joy that overcomes all. Listen. Listen, dear ones, I'm telling you, That at the end, listen, at at the last book, what is Jesus looking for in Revelation to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes? The only way you and I will stand is if we allow by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to keep us in a place where we're overcoming. Some of us have lost sight of the fact. Every power is beneath his feet. Therefore, we can walk truly as overcomers. Okay. Hang with me. We're, We're getting to a better part. So, the third point that I want to make here is summing up what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, what was the manifestation of glory under the Old Testament is now the ongoing life of the Spirit in the New Testament. The manifestation of the outward manifestation of glory in the the Old Testament now is the life of the Spirit in the New Testament. And we access that life, as I said, by worship, by yielding humility, by saying, Lord, by adoring Him. Or to put it another way, the daily walk of pray and obey is the equivalent of the manifestation of the glory of God in the first or the Old Testament. All right, so Moses' face shining with glory. Okay, we're back to the script here, okay? (laughs) The Red Sea parted, wow. Mount Carmel, wow. The fire in Solomon's temple, wow. Wow the Holy Spirit within you, wow. the daily walk of pray and obey. Wow. There you go, now we're getting what Paul's trying to say. That is what he's saying, this, this, this wow, this daily, but then he says, this wow looks like something. Now, if you're, if you're like me, you're saying, okay, what does the wow look like? I would like to know the wow. So we're talking about the wow of the inner glory. What does the inner glory look like? I'm glad you asked that question because Paul gave us a great answer. So back to verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We just covered that and that's wow, it's good. And then Paul says in verse 7, but, and this is a huge, huge word here. It's a huge, this is a huge word for paul because when he says but what he is saying is hold on there's something better something better than than the dramatic light that is shining in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ how could it get any better oh it's going to get better and he says but wait a minute something better we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Oh, yes, God, power! Yes, treasure! I'm all over this! Come on, let's go! It's okay. I'll tell you what the wow looks like. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There's the wow. There's the 24-7 wow, and it's a wow that the world is aching to see in Jesus' followers. You see, oh, yeah, miracles, glory, demonstration, the blue fog of God's presence. Azusa Street, once again. Yes, bring it on. Fire on the top of the building may we see more of that i have seen it and we'll see it again but i think where we are right now god is looking to excite us and enthuse us once again with presence from the inside out yes. see we've gotten so listen we've gotten so used to needing the presence from the outside in if 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 god would just if god would just do something to motivate me, if He would just show up, if He would just answer prayer, if He would just do this. You know what? We have fallen into the trap of our culture where our happiness is determined by the exterior, not the interior. If my circumstances just change, we say, I'll be happy. If God would just show up and do something, I'd I'd believe Him. We've already said the outer glory is not going to change you. What changes you is you take God at His word. And you say, in the place of affliction, I will not be crushed. In the place of perplexity, I will not cave into despair. Because the moment that I take my stand between affliction and crushed, between perplexity and despair, I take my stand right there and say, I don't understand, but I will stay right here and I will worship you, O Lord. That's the moment that the inside glory begins to radiate within. And that is what, that is what we as Jesus followers will need to more and more understand as the evil days increase. You say, say, uh, what evil days are you talking about? The evil days that Paul talked to the Ephesians about. And this is why this this 24-7 This 24-7 inside-out presence. This is why it's really being afflicted, not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, struck down, not destroyed. That's, That's the big wow. The big wow is that in the days ahead, believers, followers of Jesus are going to look like that. And a whole world is going to say, as things collapse all around them, there is the ark of safety. It's these people of God, these Jesus followers. They're going to want this kind of power and glory. See, these days of evil. Well, Paul talked about the days of evil. And I'm, I'm going to wrap this up in about 10. But I've got to share this with you because, I, in fact, I wasn't until last night sure I was to share this. But this gives you a real why is this? Why is this message so important and relevant? Why is it important for us to rediscover the inside-out presence, presence from the inside-out, the glory within, even more so than the glory without, that place of overcoming faith, that place where we believe God, let every man be a liar, that place where we stand, and having done all things to stand. It's not about just grit and determination. It's not just about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not just about perseverance and endurance. It is about the power of the Holy Spirit within us giving us the power to persevere and endure. Why? Because the days are evil. And it's why Paul says, take up the whole armor of God to the Ephesians so that you may be able to stand and withstand in the day of evil. I believe that we as a nation here in America, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that over these last few years and I'm not talking about political administrations here I could go back 15 years I could go back 20 we can go back to the sixties when certain doors to the enemy were opened in this nation this has nothing to do with politics nothing to do with opinions about social standards it is the reality though that we as a nation are stepping ever more decisively into the evil day. Paul says to the Ephesians, here's how you're going to withstand the evil day. Put on the armor of God. What does that evil day to us look like? You know, pastor and I and our colleagues, we'll often go to pastors' gatherings, pastors' conferences, and we learn there how to do church better, how to serve people better, how what God is, is doing in other churches, and and we learn, and we, we, we respond to new things that God's teaching us. Often, in those kinds of settings, we, we shop-talk, you know, one pastor to another. Hey, how are things going? Well, this is really working well, this isn't working so well. Every once in a while, that shop-talk will turn to the big, the big three temptations that not just pastors, but leaders especially are vulnerable to, but all of us are. You know what the big three are, money, sex, and power. But, you know, the enemy, the powers of darkness, Satan can use those same three big boys, money, sex and power, to creep into a nation and establish strongholds of thinking that begin to utterly and completely corrupt a nation. And often it takes great crisis for that people, that society or that nation to extricate itself from the corruption that she has opened herself up to. We might define money as greed. We might define sex as sensual gratification. We might define power as dominating others. And if you look at our nation, you will see that there is a history as there is in most nations, a history where the enemy has sought to destroy This nation, I love America, by the way, and I love all that she stood for as long as it's aligned itself to kingdom mandates and biblical values. Where she hasn't, I'm opposed to that because our our, our number one allegiance and our first citizenry is our citizenry in the kingdom. So I, I am all for American exceptionalism as long as it doesn't mean American superiority it's quiet, which in popular discourse it can often mean American superiority. I don't think that's what it means. Truly in our nation we've seen where the enemy has sought to sow such structural evil in the culture that it redefines the very essence of goodness. And this is often what happens, you know, if the enemy is allowed an entry point to establish a certain kind of sin, if it's undealt with over time, it becomes structured evil. Paul the Apostle even talks about sin in Romans chapter 6 and 7 almost in ways that he personifies sin, he makes it like a person. Sin is not a person, but Paul comes very close that sin has such power that it almost acts like a person once it's given place. It grows, it festers, it begins to invade and permeate an entire culture. Now, let me give you an example of what happens. What happens when evil is allowed and it becomes structured over time? What you find is you find the dilemma that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What he's describing is he's describing A culture, a society, a nation, which has completely flip-flopped the issue of morals: what was evil is now good, what was good is now considered evil. You say that 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 can't happen. That can't happen in America. Oh, dear ones, it's already happened. It's already. I, I, I will give you an example, two examples, of how evil became structured to completely distort. The sense of morality. When our founding fathers blessed them, they did a lot of things right, but one of the things they didn't do right was to define a black person as three-fifths of a human in the Constitution. If power is one group or race dominating another, then what happened at that moment is that the root of power was introduced into our nation. Several generations later, in the 1850s, I can point you to all kinds of sermons preached by southern pastors completely morally justifying slavery. We think about that now in the 21st century, and we say, how could you be so blind? It's very simple because God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, He says, I am the gracious, compassionate God, showing mercy to thousands, but visiting the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Power was introduced the one race dominating another began there, and the only way out was violence. The Civil War. It became so entrenched. How is, it that pa- how, is it, how is it that a pastor who loves Jesus could morally justify slavery? What you're seeing there in the ramp up to the Civil War is structured evil. The same thing happened in the, in the Great Depression. Greed had taken such hold that capitalism and free enterprise, which I am for, by the way, because I believe the Bible does give understanding of of free enterprise. But what happens when it's unbridled and it's not tethered to any kind of biblical values and greed runs rampant is it begins to oppress. And the natural outcome of greed when it becomes a structured evil over time, as we saw in the Great Depression, the collapse of social institutions. Now you say, why are you saying this? I'm saying this because I believe that sexual gratification is the third way a culture becomes unhinged and a nation self-destructs, and I believe that's the defining sin of our age. And why we need to stand in the days ahead. Now I know I'm taking a little bit of liberty, your pastor said I could. Taking a little bit more time. But I want you to understand where we are. The way that the structured evil of unrestrained unrestrained sexual gratification manifests itself is in the breakdown of the family. It happened in the great decline of Greece, it happened in the great decline of Rome. The unbridled pursuit of satisfying bodily appetites results in the destruction of family. It happened in the Weimar Republic in Germany before the rise of Hitler. And it doesn't matter how much we try to redefine family, there is an inevitable demise of family, which means that selfish behaviors become so rampant that there's no longer any kind of cohesion to that society. America is becoming unhinged because of its unbridled pursuit of sexual pleasure. This is not one sin among many. it is the defining sin of our generation. It is the defining sin now as slavery was. See, we look in our history books, oh, that's horrible. That defined the sin of a nation that led to a civil war. I am telling you that unbridled, unbridled sexual license without it being tethered to biblical standards. And listen, I am just as grateful for sex as the next guy. <laughs> but if it is unhinged from or outside of the boundaries that God gives for pleasure and the family's solidification, something begins to happen to that society. But a door that is opened after four generations suddenly becomes structured evil that begins to shape the thinking of a generation. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not a Jesus follower, you probably want to stone me for what I'm about to say. All I can say is this is not meant to target any group or any subgroup or anybody else. It's just meant to say that if you adopt a biblical worldview, then this is an inescapable conclusion. We say, how could pastors in the South, especially in the South, ever come to a place to biblically, morally, using Scripture to justify slavery? We think that's impossible. And yet, is that not what we're seeing today? Where people will say, I've been gay as long as I can remember, ever since I was a toddler. I understand that. Do you know why I understand it? Because evil becomes structured over four generations to where it's so systematic within the culture that it begins to completely shape the thinking of a culture from the ground up. You see, are, are you against the L- LGBT community? They're like any of us. They need Jesus. So do we. So do I. But let's not kid ourselves that our nation is in the vice grip of a structured evil, yes. just as we were prior to the Great Depression, just as we were prior to the Civil War. Yes. A systematic, systematized evil. Now, you say, oh, now you've depressed me. Sheesh. This summer Sunday morning in Michigan in August, that was supposed to be so cool. Now I'm going out here depressed. No, don't. Go out with a sense of purpose. Enter into these seven weeks that pastors leading you in. Thank God for the building and thank God for the expansion, but you know that the spiritual expansion is always deeper, and that's what your pastor said, than the physical expansion that God is leading you into. And what God is looking for, is He's looking for us to come and say, okay, I'm gonna do the, (laughs) here I am God, presence from the inside out. I'm leaning into you. I want you, Lord, I so love you and I want you to make me so like you, just in the daily wonderful grind of obedience in the hard places, that as society collapses, as surely it may that's that doesn't make sense. I, I I guess I have to betray myself. I think I think there will be a measured collapse in society. I think I think that we're under judgment. By the way, when I say America's under judgment, I don't mean that we're judgment as a punishment kind of word as a punitive word. The word judgment just simply means assessment. Judgment does not necessarily mean anger. It can mean anger, but not all the time. When somebody renders a judgment, they are rendering a verdict. It can be a positive verdict or a negative one. When I say that the nation is under judgment, what I mean by that is that God has already been backing away from America. Is he mad? No. He's not mad. He's just stepping away. Allowing America to experience the fruit of her choices. Yes. Yes. And as that happens, we as Jesus followers, if we sow the right seed now in our hearts, if we take these seasons like Pastor's leading you into, to seek God, new faith, a new encounter with you, fresh fire on the inside, then I believe that people will look at us believers perplexed but not in despair, struck down but not destroyed, and they will say, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm looking for. Awesome are your deeds, Lord. Awesome are your deeds, every power beneath your feet. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Even before we take the offering and I give it to Pastor to close. I would like us to respond. I know this is a new chorus. I know that, that you, and you may not even necessarily like it, but can we declare something in this chorus here this morning? Can we declare what these words say? O oh Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways. You alone are holy who will not fear your name. Mm-hmm. Some of you need to hear the voice of Jesus this morning, thundering in you like it thunders like the seed, breaking you through to freedom. Some of us need to come back and pray the prayer. God, light the ancient fire. Yes. Come rise within your own. Until we can't be silent but cry, our Savior comes. I invite you to just forget about everything you're going to be doing this afternoon. Every social encounter, every, every meal. I, I ask you to take a moment and say, God, I want to respond to the word And I want to respond to the word by declaring these words in song. Let's just start softly. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. For you alone are holy, who will not Worthy is worthy is the land there is none like great I am. Okay, right from the beginning, let's make it a declaration. Lift our voice oh lord god the almighty oh lord god the almighty just and true are your ways for you You need to make this your personal prayer. Make it. I hear the voice. I hear the voice of Jesus. It thunders like the sea. It breaks me through to freedom. His power will rise in me. Sing it out. Worthy is. Worthy is the Lamb. There is none like the great I am. There is none like the great I am. Sing the same melody. Awesome are your deeds, oh God. Awesome are, awesome are your deeds. Now lift your voice and let's declare this over the powers of darkness. Every power. Every power lies beneath your feet. Oh, lift your voice, lift your hands, let's declare it. Next line. On oh, light the ancient fire, come rise within your own. Until we can't be silent, but cry, our Savior come. Sing it out. Worthy is, worthy is thou. Like the great I am Awesome are your deeds We sing it to you Awesome are Awesome are your deeds Every power lies beneath your feet Every power Lies beneath your feet Oh God, oh God Lord the Almighty, just and true are your ways, for you alone are holy, will not fear.
0: that word and the song resonate in your spirit this morning do you sense a yay and amen just resonating and reverberating with you this morning there are those who speak a word and then there are those who speak a word it's a timely word it's a word in due season it's a word for our nation amen it's a word for the church for the church amen